He's calling us to remember our rich histories, our encounters with him, to remember the times that we experienced his goodness, his faithfulness, his presence in times of loneliness, his provision in times of hardship. We need to remember and preserve the stories of God's encounters with us and then share them to the generations that follow. The word tells us that the most powerful spiritual weapons we have are the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So God calls us to remember. He asks us to remember to remind us not to take us back. You know how sometimes people go, oh, the good old days. I wish we were there. But remembering is to remind us, not to take us back, but to prepare us for the future, to remember him, to remember his faithfulness and his goodness. Initiating the feast of unleavened bread, Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. For by strength, the hand of the Lord has brought you out of this place. He said, remember this day. Face devastating assault is forgetting. And face most tremendous encouragement is remembering. King David reminded himself, when he prayed, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. And the psalm of Asaph, when he cried out to the Lord in a day of trouble, he was so troubled, he said his soul would not be comforted. His spirit was overwhelmed so much that he couldn't speak. And he questioned, has God forgotten to be gracious? But Asaph didn't stop there. He went on in his song to recall in the night, this is my anguish, but I will remember the years that the right hand of the Most High, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember the wonders the wonders of his aid when I am old. I will also meditate on all of your work. I will talk of your deeds. And then he continued, who is so great a God as our God? You are God who does wonders. You have declared your strength among the people. And one last encouragement from King David who shares his own commitment to never forget. Remember the former things of old, for I am your God, and there is no other. I am your God, and there is none like me. Now, why do you think it's essential for us to remember the Lord our God, who he is, and all that he's done? Consider with me Hebrews Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. 
Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. God brought this verse to life to me one day, and I'd like to share that story with you. Perhaps you've never heard of the Wellington River. It's a very small river that gently rewinds next to the road in New York. As we were traveling, I was there with our, my, one of my daughters at a swim team event. I had all the kids in the van, and we were going to take them to Niagara Falls. The, the event was over. They swam great, and so we were going to have a little fun. So we're driving up this road, and then I noticed there was a sign next to the road, like on the freeway where it says Denny's half a mile. It was one of those big signs that said, do you have an anchor? And I thought, is that the Anchor Cafe? Is that, what is that? And we're driving along. A couple miles later, there was another sign. It said, do you know how to use it? I thought, that, this is so weird. <laughs> but I really couldn't hear anything that was going on outside. All the kids were in the van. They were singing. And I just became so curious because this slow-moving little trickle of a Wellington River did not look anything other than that, a little trickle. So I invite you to just look at this picture for a moment. That was very similar to what I was seeing. So close your eyes with me now and imagine yourself in a small boat. You're laying back. You're drifting quietly, slowly. It's so delightful. You're almost falling asleep. And as time passes, it seems that you're picking up speed a little. But suddenly, you're racing down the river. And then you hear the thunder of the falls. And a cold mist is covering your face. And you start to feel the water turbulent beneath you. And then all of a sudden, you realize in a moment that you are rushing toward the mighty falls of the Niagara. For it was just around the bend that the Wellington River dumped into the Niagara. And if you didn't have an anchor and you didn't know how to use it, you were going over. The point here is to stress that drifting over time, though it seems very innocent and peaceful and no problem, can have disastrous consequences. The author to the Hebrews reminds us, we pay close attention to what you have heard, to remember all that God has done, lest you drift away. We need those anchors of faith and hope. Our memories become those anchors. And because our verse in Hebrews chapter 2 begins with the word therefore, I'm sure you're probably asking yourself, what's the therefore, therefore? So I'm going to tell you. I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> Whenever we see a therefore in scripture, we want to ask ourselves that question. So the author is taking us back to everything that was said about Jesus in the first chapter. So let's look at that. He is the heir of all things. He is the creator the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his nature who upholds the entire universe 
by the word of his power. He is the purifier, the ruler, destined for final triumph over his enemies. And now we're confronted with the exhortation, pay much closer attention to what you have just heard, lest you drift away. And so I ask you, who or what is your anchor secured in? For we know that an anchor is only as effective as what it's secured in. If a big boat is flying down a river and the anchor isn't secured in anything, it's not going to help it at all. So the ground in what, which we secure our anchor is not only our memory, memories, but who are the memories of God, his faithfulness, his miraculous working power. We never want to interpret his silence as his absence. We know he is present with us. Hallelujah. And farther along in the Hebrews, in chapter 6, we read this hope we have as an anchor of our soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered before us, even Jesus, having become our high priest forever. Beloved, he invites us there. That veil was ripped from top to bottom the moment Jesus took his last breath. Hallelujah. We are there with him. And we need to ground our anchors, the anchors of our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions in the immediacy of God's presence. For it is the presence of God that makes us the people of God for the purposes of God. Remember Moses said, if your presence isn't going, I'm not going. We want his presence with us. And on his side of things, it's there. He never turns away. He never pulls back. And he's calling us, remember my faithfulness. Remember my word. Anchor yourself in my truth and my presence with you. So why would this be important? What's the danger of not doing Again, I'm glad you asked. We're going to talk about those dangers. Think with me for a few minutes about the last few years that we've all gone through. No one could have known what was about to take place when the year 2020 began. It began as every other year. We had New Year's revolutions. We had hopes and promises and plans. Yet, as we all know, 2020 held more unpleasant surprises for us than pleasant ones. No one could have realized the unforeseen event that was on the horizon. It wasn't the usual firestorms like we experience in, Ca in California. It was a different kind of storm. It came very quietly. Most of us didn't notice. It was subtle. It crept in. Little did we know the entire country would be shutting down. Schools throughout the country soon began to send student home, students home. I remember our little grandsons. They told them, I'm sure you'll be back before June before summer starts, but that wasn't to be. Restrictions on gathering affected more than just our churches. 
businesses began to close. Employees were laid off, not knowing when they would come back or even if they ever would. The news changed daily. It was recommended that we shelter in place, and a cloud of loneliness came over many of us. As time went on, anger and divisions arose, lawlessness and mass shootings. Both have tragically disrupted our communities. These events break our heart, and every time we hear of another one, we lose a little more sense of security. At times, we feel like the earth is standing still. We vacillate between belief and unbelief, acceptance and denial, wondering what went wrong and what will the future hold. Most of us believe that we have control in our lives. That is until a tragedy strikes. Then the control we thought we had is taken from us, along with our sense of well-being. The loss of control can affect us in very many ways. It brings fear, anxiety, insecurity. But there's a flip side to losing control as well. It can bring new dimensions of trusting God that we have never known before. For even when we don't understand what's going on, we need to hold on to the anchors of our hope. We have never been in a storm that didn't pass. Hallelujah. We're all weary. And these events can easily give place to three things. Complacency, apathy, and indifference. We say to ourselves, I've just had enough. I'm over this. Did you ever say that? I said that. And then our son-in-law, who's a doctor, said, I'm sorry, Mom, but it's not over you. <laughs> you might be over it, but it's not over yet. But the thoughts are subtle, and they're very seductive, and they draw us into the temptation of wanting to find comfort wherever we can find it, wherever we can get it. And then we begin to just look away from trouble and think, what can I do? I'm only one person. We will all become complacent without the times that the only answer we have is to trust in God. Those times can make us stronger. The times that we choose to wake up, stand up, the times that we consider and remember that even in the midst of God, we find hope and we find peace. And he is calling us to wake up and remember to the brokenhearted, to the tired, to the weary. He says, I am the God of hope. I will fill you with all joy and peace as you believe so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So he does it in us first and then we overflow it everywhere we go. On everyone we encounter, we share hope and we share peace. God is asking us to focus on him, on his solutions, not on the problems. One solution is the unique way that God has created us. We have the ability to choose what we allow our minds to dwell on. That is one of the most significant things that separates us from the animal kingdom. 
They don't, they don't have that ability. They're just in the moment. Whatever happens right now, they're there. Sometimes we could learn a little from that, too, to stay in the moment rather than going down the what-if road. But we are, choose, we are free to choose and control how we respond to things. That we can respond instead of react. We can draw on that hope, draw on his promises, draw on our memories of his faithfulness and respond in kind. Hallelujah. You will remember recently in Pastor Courtney's series on the um, parables, on October 16th, he preached about living awake, alert to the times, and God's presence with us. That's exactly what we're talking about here. And as I prayed in preparation for this time, before I had seen Pastor Courtney's message, God gave me this verse in Ephesians 5, 14. Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. We need, it's time to wake up. It's time to be his people. Hallelujah. He's calling us to come alive again, to be the light in the darkness. And that is a calling that the enemy seeks to keep us from with complacency, apathy, and indifference. But, oh, beloved, that is so far from God's intention for us. And please remember this. The enemy cannot steal your destiny. He cannot take it from you. All he can do is make every effort to make you give it up. And he is relentless in that endeavor. But let's dig a little bit closer into these words so that we know what we're about today. Complacency. It's a feeling of quiet pleasure or security, often while unaware of a potential danger. Just like floating down that quiet, seemingly peaceful little river that all of a sudden you're going over Niagara Falls. Apathy, the absence or suppression of passion, emotion, and excitement. Lack of interest in things that other people find interesting. Or indifference, a lack of concern. Thinking things are unimportant. Has that, could that describe you from time to time during the last few years? We just kind of drew away, didn't we? When they said shelter in place, our hearts began to shelter. But God is saying, wake up, come alive again, my people. We know from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, that we are seated with Jesus Christ in the heavenly realms. This was the Father's action toward us because we are united with him. So you think about the verse that says we mount up with wings as eagles. Eagles fly higher than any other bird is capable of, and they have binocular vision. They have two lenses. They see farther than any other bird. They see the storm coming, and they rise above it. And all the little bunnies and little things on the ground are scurrying around going, ah, help, here comes the storm, the eagle's up there. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that coming yesterday. 
That's what God has for us. He's calling us to mount up on those wings, to see with his eyes, because we are seated with him in the heavenly realm. Hallelujah. What a place that is. So the dangers of complacency. Our text that, that we're referring to this morning is from Numbers chapter 32, verses 1 to 32. This is the account of God's people Israel approaching the promised land that God had given them to possess, not just to own. He gave it to them. But he said, go in and occupy, possess it. So big difference there. Earlier in the book of Numbers, we saw how God allowed an entire generation of complacent and apathetic souls to die off in the wilderness. They were too filled with fear to go in and occupy the land. They desired their own safety more than the word and the promise of the living God. But here, here we are. And, and just a side note, we know that journey took 40 years. One year for every day that the spies had gone into the land. Only Joshua and Caleb were brave enough to say, no, no, we can take it. But complacency is so contagious. The, other, the fear of the other spies overcame the entire generation. And they wandered in the wilderness. From the point where Moses brought down the Ten Commandments at the foot of that mountain, that was two years into their journey. So it took them 38 years longer to get to this place where they are to go across the Jordan. If you just walk straight from that place at the foot of the mountain to where they were today, do you know how long that trip would take? 11 days. 11 days. Oh, we don't want complacency to happen to us. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. God had a new generation of warriors poised to cross the, the Jordan River and seize the land. They were prepared to confront any giant, but their, moment, their momentum was stifled for a moment by yet another bump in the road, a subtle act of complacency. One of the dangerous, most dangerous things about complacency is it is highly contagious. As the people journeyed on, they came to the regions of Jazar and Gilead, which was perfect for cattle. Because of the tribes of Reuben and Gad had a lot of cattle, they said, you know what? This looks like good land right here. So they went to Moses and Eleazar and the heads of the community, and they said, don't take us across the Jordan. We have found a perfect place here for our families and for our cattle. And who needs the promised land anyway? This looks perfect to me. You know, and who needs the battles? I can just imagine the time, the tribes of Reuben and Gad, they fought, they felt like they'd suffered enough. They said, you know, this is a peaceful, safe place. Moses, just let us stay here. Let this land be our inheritance. Moses, let's say, was 
annoyed with their apathy. <clears throat> he reminded them that their fathers had acted in a similar way and discouraged the other people's hearts with the contagion of mediocrity and complacency. So Moses asked them, shall your brothers go to war while you just sit here? This is Numbers 32, verse 6. He cautioned them, if they acted with the same spiritual apathy as their forefathers had, the entire next generation would suffer immensely, and they would be destroyed in the wilderness. It says, for if you turn away from following him, capital H, God, he will once again leave them in the wilderness and you will destroy all these people. So if you turn away, these people are going to live here and they're going to fall away again, another generation. And who did Moses say was destroying the people? You. He was talking to the tribes of Gad and Reuben. It wasn't him. It was them. Moses wanted them to know there were battles to fight and we were in it together. Thankfully, there was a positive outcome. The Reubenites and the Gadites said, we are willing. They repented of their complacency. We will follow the Lord fully. They crossed the Jordan, every man armed for battle. And Moses said, when the battles are over, this can be your inheritance. This can be your land. But they went with them, and they fought together. Complacency, again, is very subtle. It erodes our faith. It is a slow spiritual drift away from the plans and purposes of God. A drift with no anchor to save us. It can cause us to go about our daily lives in fear with spiritual blinders on, striving for our own comfort, forgetting about the needs of others. Or it whispers something like this. Church in my PJs, on the couch, cup of coffee. It's actually pretty nice. Maybe I'll just keep doing this. I don't need to get involved. It's all just too much. And besides, I'm not hurting anybody. Oh, beloved, that's not God's plan. God says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much more as the day approaching. God calls us to be together. My brothers and sisters, the truth is Jesus calls the church his bride, his beloved, whom he gave his very life for. And I ask you to consider this. You cannot forsake the bride without forsaking the bridegroom. Hallelujah. God is calling us to come back together. We encourage one another as we gather in worship with one another so that we may be equipped 
and fulfilled to go forth in the Great Commission. We are changed to be people of passion, people who introduce his rulership, the kingdom of God, into our present circumstances in which mankind's lost rule has produced seemingly impossible situations. But just think of it. What might this produce in our generation if we all stand up, step up, step into God's purpose for our lives, confident in hope? A few weeks ago, a month ago or so, I was asked to teach a spiritual warfare conference to a group of youth, some young people, 12 to 20 was the age. So I was praying and asking the Lord to give me an example that would be very relatable. What is spiritual warfare? And you'll remember a few months ago how hot it was here in Southern California. Yeah. Oh, man, it was hot. <laughs> so I walked out in the living room where our thermostat was. And on the left side of the thermostat, as you can see, there's a thermometer, right? What does a thermometer do for us? It gives us the information. It tells us what's happening in the room. So our thermometer at home that day was unacceptable. <laughs> it was in the 90s. I'm, so I got my finger on the thermostat. That's exactly like our thermostat. I'm going bum, 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 bum. <laughs> like, no, no. What does the thermostat do for us? It gives us the power to change the atmosphere in the room. And God just, I'm doing that, and God went, this is spiritual warfare. I have never called you to reflect the atmosphere of the world. I have called you to change the world. Be the thermostats. Don't be a crummy thermometer. We don't reflect the things of God. We change them. He has called us, anointed us, and appointed us to be different make, difference makers. He's charged us to be people of passion. The kingdom of God is right here, right now. His rulership, his reign, his authority, he's given it all to us. And he says, be that. Think about Peter for a minute in the boat, right? Here's the storm. They're all afraid, and they're crying out, Jesus, did you forget us? They saw him coming. Peter was the only one who said, Lord, if that's you, tell me to come. And Jesus said, come. So Peter stepped out of his zone, and he walked on the water. Now, he gets a lot of bad press for sinking for a moment. He took his eyes off Jesus, and he looked at his circumstance, and he began to sink. But the word tells us that Jesus immediately reached to him and drew him back up. So he had walked all that way from the boat to wherever Jesus was. And then it says they went back to the boat, and when they arrived at the boat, the storm stopped. So they walked back. The word doesn't say Jesus carried him back. He's still walking on the water. Peter was the only one who wanted to be where Jesus was and do what Jesus was doing. I honor that. I love Peter. He messed up so many times it makes me feel okay when I do because God is still going to be with us. But we have to be where Jesus is, wanting to do what he's doing. The enemy has only one ambition, beloved, is to get your eyes off Jesus. 
And we saw what happened when Peter did that. When we get our eyes off Jesus, we sink. Everything he throws at you day in and day out, that is the means by which he seeks to accomplish that one ambition. All he wants is get your eyes off Jesus. But through the Lord's weapons of choosing to remember, to pray, to abide with him, we hold in this present moment the balance of power in our own lives, the lives of our families, the lives of our church, the lives of our nation, to abide with him, to do what he's calling us to do, to make his intentions known to the principalities and powers. For think of this, the word in Ephesians 3.10 tells us, the manifold wisdom of God will be made known by the church to the principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. That's our job. God in his wisdom said, you, beloved, you guys, you are going to make my will known to the principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. We need to wake up and step into our calling. Again, I remind you, God placed the authority, God placed the enforcement of Calvary's victory in the hands of the church. And it happens through the intentional, passionate prayers of a believing people. People who are remembering his faithfulness, remembering his power in adversity, and will seek to abide with him. Think about David for a minute. When he faced Goliath, David wasn't looking at Goliath. He was looking at God, and he was remembering Remember, I remember when I was fighting that lion. He's a kid, but I won because God was with me. And then there was a bear. I won that battle too because God was with me. When I go face Goliath, this is just another day at the office. And all those guys in the army, they're running away like little girls. David's like, but God's the one who's doing this, not us. And he knew victory. We keep our eyes on Jesus because we are confident in who he is and never take your focus off of him. So with your permission, I would like to close by leading us in prayer to come humbly before the Lord in humility and repent of any place that we have given to complacency or apathy or indifference. And beloved, doing this will set us free that without fear or hesitation, we can be the world changers that God has called us to be. We enforce Christ's victory on Calvary into our present circumstances day in and day out. When we go to the market, when you go to the gas station, when you go to school, when you go to work, you are God's representative on earth as it is in heaven. Think about that word for a minute representative, represent. When you walk in the room because the Holy Spirit of the living God is alive in you, you are representing Jesus. You're representing him to the circumstance that you are walking into. Oh, beloved, what a privilege. Ours is the privilege. His is the power. We never want to lose sight of that reality. 
So together, let's put our hands on that thermostat. Let's be the people who were created to change the atmosphere of the world around us for good, for God's glory. So understanding we can't cast out flesh, we learn to discipline our flesh. Sometimes you don't feel like going to church. And you reach to turn that alarm off and go, oh, I could just watch it online one more time. (gasps) Don't do it. Discipline your flesh. Come back. Those of you that are watching online, come back. It's time. It's time. We edify one another. We build each other up. And we prepare ourselves. So we discipline our flesh, but you can't discipline darkness. You cast it out. We do what Jesus did. So we're going to repent. We're talking to the Father. Forgive us for any place we have been complacent or apathetic. And then we're going to renounce the darkness, just like Jesus did. We're going to talk directly to the enemy and say, no more. I'm not partnering with your lies. I'm not giving in to this. And then by the power and authority God has given us as his blood-bought children, we're going to command the darkness to flee. Okay? You with me? Hallelujah. Okay. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. So I'd like you to pray with me. The enemy can't read your mind. He wants you to think he can, but he can't. So just whisper along with me as we pray. God knows your heart and your mind. He alone knows it. So Heavenly Father, I come humbly before you and repent of any place that I have given to a spirit of complacency, apathy, indifference, or fear. I see that doing so is sin. And I am sorry, Father. I do not want to waste my days or or settle for anything less than you have intended for me. Forgive me for being willing to settle for less than you've intended for my life. Where I have sought my own comfort or my own peace and have backed away from engaging your will for my life, for my family, for my church, for my community, for my nation. I repent of any other work of darkness that has partnered with these works. I don't need their names, for I know the name that is above every name. And now, Lord Jesus, I ask for your forgiveness. And I ask you now to just look up and open your hands and say, Jesus, I receive your forgiveness. I receive your washing whiter than the snow. Whiter than the snow. And I hear your promise that you forgive my wickedness and you remember my sin no more. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay, now our posture is war. We speak to the enemy following Jesus' example. 
in the name of Jesus Christ, by the authority you have given me, I renounce the spirits of complacency, apathy, indifference, and fear, and any other spirit that worked with these to obstruct God's purpose and intention for my life. I refuse further association with them. And I will not align my life with your lives of darkness. In Jesus' name. And now by the authority and power the Lord God Almighty has given me as his blood-bought child, I break the enemy's hold on me. I command these spirits of complacency, apathy, indifference, or fear to leave me now in Jesus' name. Beloved, the Greek word for spirit is pneuma. It means breath. Just take a big, deep breath in. Hallelujah. Take a big, deep breath out. They came with a breath. They leave with a breath. You might not have felt anything leave, but you didn't feel them come in either. But when we sin, Paul says we give opportunity to the devil. We open the door. And now we have just opened that door again and said, be gone. Hallelujah. And now we're going to shut the door. So let me conclude by praying for you. In Luke chapter 11, it says when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, that, that he returns looking for a place, and he finds the house swept and clean and put in order, and he brings back other spirits with him. And the former state is worse, the latter state is worse than the former. So while the Lord God Almighty has just cleansed you whiter than snow, we're not going to lead the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is you, clean and swept and empty. So, Father God, according to your word, I ask now that you fill each person with your peace. Lord, fill them with trust without fear, expectation without doubt, passion without reserve, that each person will devotedly pursue you and the fullness of all that you have for them. May we each desire deeper, more intimate relationship with you. To follow in Peter's footsteps. To go where you're going and do what you're doing. Let us step up and step into all that you have called us to do and to be, to advance your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, fill us with trust and belief in your love, your commitment, your faithfulness to every one of us. Let us remember the marvelous works of the Lord our God and keep our eyes focused on you. Teach us good judgment with knowledge. Keep us attentive and alert. Guard us from drifting back into complacency or apathy or indifference. We thank you, Lord God, that we are secure in your righteousness and anchored safely in your truth, assured that you hold us steadfast no matter what storm we face. My brothers and sisters, know this and remember, the best, the best is yet to come.
We haven't seen anything of what God's up to in these days. We were born for this time. So together, let's go be thermostats and change the world for his glory. Now, I just want to give you one warning before I sit down. The enemy is going to whisper today to you if he hasn't already. And he's going to say something like, that was too easy. You think I left because of that? Here's what you get to say to him. Pastor Maureen told me you were going to say this. <laughs> so you got a problem with what happened, what God did in me today? You go talk to my dad. Because he did it. Everything we prayed, we find in Scripture. Everything I taught, we find in Scripture. If the enemy's got a problem with it, send him to the Father. The battle is over. You have won. Go be thermostats in Jesus' name. Hallelujah.